Section 7 of My Inventions and Other Works of Nikola Tesla, Electrical Experimenter, February to October 1919. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Famous Scientific Illusions by Nikola Tesla. This article was published in Electrical Experimenter, February 1919. In this original and revolutionizing discussion, Nikola Tesla gives us something really new to think about. First, does the moon rotate on its axis? Second, is the Franklin pointed lightning rod correct in theory and operation? Third, do wireless signals fly through space by means of so-called Hertzian waves in the ether, or are they propagated through the earth at prodigious velocity by means of earth-bound oscillations? World-famous conundrums these, questions which have been answered in many ways by some of the greatest scientists. Dr. Tesla explains these three predominant scientific fallacies in a masterly way, so that everyone can understand them. The human brain, with all its wonderful capabilities and power, is far from being a faultless apparatus. Most of its parts may be in perfect working order, but some are atrophied, undeveloped, or missing altogether. Great men of all classes and professions, scientists, inventors, and hard-headed financiers, have placed themselves on record with impossible theories, inoperable devices, and unreliable schemes. It is doubtful that there could be found a single work of any one individual free of error. There is no such thing as an infallible brain. Invariably, some cells or fibers are wanting or unresponsive, with the result of impairing judgment, sense of proportion, or some other faculty. A man of genius eminently practical, whose name is a household word, has wasted the best years of his life in a visionary undertaking. A celebrated physicist was incapable of tracing the directions of an electric current according to a childishly simple rule. The writer, who was known to recite entire volumes by heart, has never been able to retain in memory and recapitulate in their proper order the words designating the colors of the rainbow, and can only ascertain them after long and laborious thought, strange as it may seem. Our organs of reception, too, are deficient and deceptive. As a semblance of life is produced by a rapid succession of inanimate pictures, so many of our perceptions are but trickery of the senses, devoid of reality. The greatest triumphs of man were those in which his mind had to free itself from the influence of delusive appearances. Such was the revelation of Buddha that self is an illusion caused by the persistence and continuity of mental images, the discovery of Copernicus that, contrary to all observation, this planet rotates around the sun, the recognition of Descartes that the human being is an automaton, governed by external influence, and the idea that the earth is spherical, which led Columbus to the finding of this continent and though the minds of individuals supplement one another, and science and experience are continually eliminating fallacies and misconceptions, much of our present knowledge is still incomplete and unreliable. We have sophisms in mathematics which cannot be disproved. 
even in pure reasoning free of the shortcomings of symbolic processes we are often arrested by doubt which the strongest intelligences have been unable to dispel experimental science itself most positive of all is not unfailing in the following i shall consider three exceptionally interesting errors in the interpretation and application of physical phenomena which have for years dominated the minds of experts and men of science one the illusion of the axial rotation of the moon it is well known since the discovery of galileo that the moon in travelling through space always turns the same face towards the earth this is explained by saying that while passing once around the mother planet the lunar globe performs just one revolution on its axis the spinning motion of a heavenly body must necessarily undergo modifications in the course of time being either retarded by resistances internal or external or accelerated owing to shrinkage and other causes an unalterable rotational velocity through all phases of planetary evolution is manifestly impossible what wonder then that at this very instant of its long existence our satellite should revolve exactly so and not faster or slower but many astronomers have accepted as physical fact that such rotation takes place it does not but only appears so it is an illusion a most surprising one too i will endeavor to make this clear by reference to figure one in which e represents the earth and m the moon the movement through space is such that the arrow firmly attached to the latter always occupies the position indicated with reference to the earth if one imagines himself as looking down on the orbital plane and follows the motion he will become convinced that the moon does turn on its axis as it travels around but in this very act the observer will have deceived himself to make the delusion complete let him take a washer similarly marked and supporting it rotatably in the centre carry it around a stationary object constantly keeping the arrow pointing towards the latter though to his bodily vision the disc will revolve on its axis such movement does not exist he can dispel the illusion at once by holding the washer fixedly while going around he will now readily see that the supposed axial rotation is only apparent an impression being produced by successive changes of position in space but more convincing proofs can be given that the moon does not and cannot revolve on its axis with this object in view attention is called to figure two in which both the satellite m and the earth e are shown embedded in a solid mass m one indicated by stippling and supposed to rotate so as to impart to the moon its normal translatory velocity evidently if the lunar globe could rotate as commonly believed this would be equally true of any other portion of mass m one as the sphere m two shown in dotted lines and then the part common to both bodies would have to turn simultaneously in opposite directions this can be experimentally illustrated in the manner suggested by using instead of one two overlapping rotatable washers as may be conveniently represented by circles m and m two and carrying them around a centre as e 
so that the plain and dotted arrows are always pointing towards the same centre no further argument is needed to demonstrate that the two gyrations cannot coexist or even be pictured in the imagination and reconciled in a purely abstract sense the truth is the so-called axial rotation of the moon is a phenomenon deceptive alike to the eye and mind and devoid of physical meaning it has nothing in common with real mass revolution characterized by effects positive and unmistakable volumes have been written on the subject and many erroneous arguments advanced in support of the notion thus it is reasoned that if the planet did not turn on its axis it would expose the whole surface to terrestrial view as only one half is visible it must revolve the first statement is true but the logic of the second is defective for it admits of only one alternative the conclusion is not justified as the same appearance can also be produced in another way the moon does rotate not on its own but about an axis passing through the centre of the earth the true and only one the unfailing test of the spinning of a mass is however the existence of energy of motion the moon is not possessed of such vis viva if it were the case then a revolving body as m1 would contain mechanical energy other than that of which we have experimental evidence irrespective of this so exact a coincidence between the axial and orbital periods is in itself immensely improbable for this is not the permanent condition towards which the system is tending any axial rotation of a mass left to itself retarded by forces external or internal must cease even admitting its perfect control by tides the coincidence would still be miraculous but when we remember that most of the satellites exhibit this peculiarity the probability becomes infinitesimal three theories have been advanced for the origin of the moon according to the oldest suggested by the great german philosopher kant and developed by laplace in his monumental treatise mechanique celeste the planets have been thrown off from larger central masses by centrifugal force nearly forty years ago professor george h darwin in a masterful essay on tidal friction furnished mathematical proofs deemed unrefutable that the moon had separated from the earth recently this established theory has been attacked by professor t j j see in a remarkable work on the evolution of the stellar systems in which he propounds the view that centrifugal force was altogether inadequate to bring about the separation and that all planets including the moon have come from the depths of space and have been captured still a third hypothesis of unknown origin exists which has been examined and commented upon by professor w h pickering in popular astronomy of nineteen o seven and according to which the moon was torn from the earth when the latter was partially solidified this accounting for the continents which might not have been formed otherwise undoubtedly planets and satellites have originated in both ways and in my opinion it is not difficult to ascertain the character of their birth the following conclusions can be safely drawn one a heavenly body thrown off from a larger one 
cannot rotate on its axis the mass rendered fluid by the combined action of heat and pressure upon the reduction of the latter immediately stiffens being at the same time deformed by gravitational pull the shape becomes permanent upon cooling and solidification and the smaller mass continues to move about the larger one as though it were rigidly connected to it except for pendular swings or librations due to varying orbital velocity such motion precludes the possibility of axial rotation in the strictly physical sense the moon has never spun around as is well demonstrated by the fact that the most precise instruments have failed to show any measurable flattening in form two if a planetary body in its orbital movement turns the same side towards the central mass this is a positive proof that it has been separated from the latter and is a true satellite three a planet revolving on its axis in its passage around another cannot have been thrown off from the same but must have been captured two the fallacy of franklin's pointed lightning rod the display of atmospheric electricity has since ages been one of the most marvellous spectacles afforded to the sight of man its grandeur and power filled him with fear and superstition for centuries he attributed lightning to agents godlike and supernatural and its purpose in the scheme of this universe remained unknown to him now we have learned that the waters of the ocean are raised by the sun and maintained in the atmosphere delicately suspended that they are wafted to distant regions of the globe where electric forces assert themselves in upsetting the sensitive balance and causing precipitation thus sustaining all organic life there is every reason to hope that man will soon be able to control this life-giving flow of water and thereby solve many pressing problems of his existence atmospheric electricity became of special scientific interest in franklin's time faraday had not yet announced his epochal discoveries in magnetic induction but static frictional machines were already generally used in physical laboratories franklin's powerful mind at once leaped to the conclusion that frictional and atmospheric electricity were identical to our present view this inference seems obvious but in his time the mere thought of it was little short of blasphemy he investigated the phenomena and argued that if they were of the same nature then the clouds would be drained of all their charge exactly as the ball of a static machine and in seventeen forty nine he indicated in a published memoir how this could be done by the use of pointed metal rods the earliest trials were made by delabrand in france but franklin himself was the first to obtain a spark by using a kite in june seventeen fifty two when these atmospheric discharges manifest themselves to-day in our wireless station we feel annoyed and wish that they would stop but to the man who discovered them they brought tears of joy the lightning conductor in its classical form was invented by benjamin franklin in seventeen fifty five and immediately upon its adoption proved a success to a degree as usual however its virtues were often exaggerated so for instance it was seriously claimed that in the city of piatermeritzburg capital of natal south africa 
no lightning strikes occurred after the pointed rods were installed although the storms were as frequent as before experience has shown that just the opposite is true a modern city like new york presenting innumerable sharp points and projections in good contact with the earth is struck much more often than equivalent area of land statistical records carefully compiled and published from time to time demonstrate that the danger from lightning to property and life has been reduced to a small percentage by franklin's invention but the damage by fire amounts nevertheless to several million dollars annually it is astonishing that this device which has been in universal use for more than one century and a half should be found to involve a gross fallacy in design and construction which impairs its usefulness and may even render its employment hazardous under certain conditions for explanation of this curious fact i may first refer to figure three in which s is a metallic sphere of radius r such as the capacity terminal of a static machine provided with a sharply pointed pin of length h as indicated it is well known that the latter has the property of quickly dissipating the accumulated charge into the air to examine this action in the light of present knowledge we may liken electric potential to temperature imagine that sphere s is heated to t degrees and that the pin or metal bar is a perfect conductor of heat so that its extreme end is at the same temperature t then if another sphere of larger radius v1 is drawn about the first and the temperature along this boundary is t1 it is evident that there will be between the end of the bar and its surrounding a difference of temperature t minus t1 which will determine the outflow of heat obviously if the adjacent medium was not affected by the hot sphere this temperature difference would be greater and more heat would be given off exactly so in the electric system let q be the quantity of the charge then the sphere and owing to its great conductivity also the pin will be at the potential q divided by r the medium around the point of the pin will be at the potential q divided by r1 equals q divided by the sum r plus h and consequently the difference q divided by r minus q divided by the sum r plus h equals qh divided by the quantity r times the sum of r plus h suppose now that a sphere s of much larger radius capital r equals lowercase n r is employed containing a charge uppercase q this difference of potential will be analogously capital q h divided by the product capital r times the sum capital r plus h according to elementary principles of electrostatics the potentials of the two spheres lowercase s and uppercase s will be equal if uppercase q equals lowercase n q in which case capital q h divided by the product capital r times the sum capital r plus h equals the product lowercase n q h divided by the product lowercase n r times the sum n r plus h equals lowercase q h divided by the product 
lowercase r times the sum n r plus h thus the difference of potential between the point of the pin and the medium around the same will be smaller in the ratio r plus h divided by n r plus h when the large sphere is used in many scientific tests and experiments this important observation has been disregarded with the result of causing serious errors its significance is that the behavior of the pointed rod entirely depends on the linear dimensions of the electrified body its quality to give off the charge may be entirely lost if the latter is very large for this reason all points or projections on the surface of a conductor of such vast dimensions as the earth would be quite ineffective were it not for other influences these will be elucidated with reference to figure four in which our artist of the impressionist school has emphasized franklin's notion that his rod was drawing electricity from the clouds if the earth were not surrounded by an atmosphere which is generally oppositely charged it would behave despite all its irregularities of surface like a polished sphere but owing to the electrified masses of air and cloud the distribution is greatly modified thus in figure four the positive charge of the cloud induces in the earth an equivalent opposite charge the density at the surface of the latter diminishing with the cube of the distance from the static centre of the cloud a brush discharge is then formed at the point of the rod and the action franklin anticipated takes place in addition the surrounding air is ionized and rendered conducting and eventually a bolt may hit the building or some other object in the vicinity the virtue of the pointed end to dissipate the charge which was uppermost in franklin's mind is however infinitesimal careful measurements show that it would take many years before the electricity stored in a single cloud of moderate size would be drawn off or neutralized through such a lightning conductor the grounded rod has the quality of rendering harmless most of the strokes it receives though occasionally the charge is diverted with damaging results but what is very important to note it invites danger and hazard on account of the fallacy involved in its design the sharp point which was thought advantageous and indispensable to its operation is really a defect detracting considerably from the practical value of the device i have produced a much improved form of lightning protector characterized by the employment of a terminal of considerable area and large radius of curvature which makes impossible undue density of the charge and ionization of the air footnote refer to the october nineteen eighteen issue of this journal wherein dr tesla's new form of non-pointed lightning rod was fully described and illustrated and footnote these protectors act as quasi repellents and so far have never been struck though exposed a long time their safety is experimentally demonstrated to greatly exceed that invented by franklin by their use property worth millions of dollars which is now annually lost can be saved three the singular misconception of the wireless to the popular mind this sensational advance conveys the impression of a single invention but in reality it is an art 
the successful practice of which involves the employment of a great many discoveries and improvements i viewed it as such when i undertook to solve wireless problems and it is due to this fact that my insight into its underlying principles was clear from their very inception in the course of development of my induction motors it became desirable to operate them at high speeds and for this purpose i constructed alternators of relatively high frequencies the striking behavior of the currents soon captivated my attention and in eighteen eighty nine i started a systematic investigation of their properties and the possibilities of practical application the first gratifying result of my efforts in this direction was the transmission of electrical energy through one wire without return of which i gave demonstrations in my lectures and addresses before several scientific bodies here and abroad in eighteen ninety one and eighteen ninety two during that period while working with my oscillation transformers and dynamos of frequencies up to two hundred thousand cycles per second the idea gradually took hold of me that the earth might be used in place of the wire thus dispensing with artificial conductors altogether the immensity of the globe seemed an unsurmountable obstacle but after a prolonged study of the subject i became satisfied that the undertaking was rational and in my lectures before the franklin institute and national electric light association early in eighteen ninety three i gave the outline of the system i had conceived in the latter part of that year at the chicago world's fair i had the good fortune of meeting professor hemholtz to whom i explained my plan illustrating it with experiments on that occasion i asked the celebrated physicist for an expression of opinion on the feasibility of the scheme he stated unhesitatingly that it was practicable provided i could perfect apparatus capable of putting it into effect but this he anticipated would be extremely difficult to accomplish i resumed the work very much encouraged and from that date to eighteen ninety six advanced slowly but steadily making a number of improvements the chief of which was my system of concatenated tuned circuits and method of regulation now universally adopted in the summer of eighteen ninety seven lord kelvin happened to pass through new york and honored me by a visit to my laboratory where i entertained him with demonstrations in support of my wireless theory he was fairly carried away with what he saw but nevertheless condemned my project in emphatic terms qualifying it as something impossible an illusion and a snare i had expected his approval and was pained and surprised but the next day he returned and gave me a better opportunity for explanation of the advances i had made and of the true principles underlying the system i had evolved suddenly he remarked with evident astonishment then you are not making use of hertz waves certainly not i replied these are radiations no energy could be economically transmitted to a distance by any such agency in my system the process is one of true conduction which theoretically can be effected at the greatest distance without appreciable loss 
i can never forget the magic change that came over the illustrious philosopher the moment he freed himself from that erroneous impression the skeptic who would not believe was suddenly transformed into the warmest of supporters he parted from me not only thoroughly convinced of the scientific soundness of the idea but strongly expressed his confidence in its success in my exposition to him i resorted to the following mechanical analogues of my own and the hertz wave system imagine the earth to be a bag of rubber filled with water a small quantity of which is periodically forced in and out of the same by means of a reciprocating pump as illustrated if the strokes of the latter are effected in intervals of more than one hour and forty-eight minutes sufficient for the transmission of the impulse through the whole mass the entire bag will expand and contract and corresponding movements will be imparted to pressure gauges or movable pistons with the same intensity irrespective of distance by working the pump faster shorter waves will be produced which on reaching the opposite end of the bag may be reflected and give rise to stationary nodes and loops but in any case the fluid being incompressible its enclosure perfectly elastic and the frequency of oscillations not very high the energy will be economically transmitted and very little power consumed so long as no work is done in the receivers this is a crude but correct representation of my wireless system in which however i resort to various refinements thus for instance the pump is made part of a resonant system of great inertia enormously magnifying the force of the impressed pulses the receiving devices are similarly conditioned and in this manner the amount of energy collected in them vastly increased the hertz wave system is in many respects the very opposite of this to explain it by analogy the piston of the pump is assumed to vibrate to and fro at a terrific rate and the orifice through which the fluid passes in and out of the cylinder is reduced to a small hole there is scarcely any movement of the fluid and almost the whole work performed results in the production of radiant heat of which an infinitesimal part is recovered in a remote locality however incredible it is true that the minds of some of the ablest experts have been from the beginning and still are obsessed by this monstrous idea and so it comes that the true wireless art to which i laid the foundation in eighteen ninety three has been retarded in its development for twenty years this is the reason why the statics have proved unconquerable why the wireless shares are of little value and why the government has been compelled to interfere we are living on a planet of well-nigh inconceivable dimensions surrounded by a layer of insulating air above which is a rarefied and conducting atmosphere figure five this is providential for if all the air were conducting the transmission of electrical energy through the natural media would be impossible my early experiments have shown that currents of high frequency and great tension readily pass through an atmosphere but moderately rarefied so that the insulating stratum is reduced to a small thickness as will be evident by inspection of figure six in which a part of the earth and its gaseous envelope is shown to scale if the radius of the sphere is twelve and a half inches 
then the non-conducting layer is only one sixty-fourth of an inch thick and it will be obvious that the hertzian rays cannot traverse so thin a crack between two conducting surfaces for any considerable distance without being absorbed the theory has been seriously advanced that these radiations pass around the globe by successive reflections but to show the absurdity of this suggestion reference is made to figure seven in which this process is diagrammatically indicated assuming that there is no refraction the rays as shown on the right would travel along the sides of a polygon drawn around the solid and inscribed into the conducting gaseous boundary in which case the length of the side would be about four hundred miles as one-half the circumference of the earth is approximately twelve thousand miles long there will be roughly thirty deviations the efficiency of such a reflector cannot be more than twenty-five per cent so that if none of the energy of the transmitter were lost in other ways the part recovered would be measured by the fraction one-fourth to the thirtieth power let the transmitter radiate hertz waves at the rate of one thousand kilowatts then one hundred and fifteen billionth part of one watt is all that would be collected in a perfect receiver in truth the reflections would be much more numerous as shown on the left of the figure and owing to this and other reasons on which it is unnecessary to dwell the amount recovered would be a vanishing quantity consider now the process taking place in the transmission by the instrumentalities and methods of my invention for this purpose attention is called to figure eight which gives an idea of the mode of propagation of the current waves and is largely self-explanatory the drawing represents a solar eclipse with the shadow of the moon just touching the surface of the earth at a point where the transmitter is located as the shadow moves downward it will spread over the earth's surface first with infinite and then gradually diminishing velocity until at a distance of about six thousand miles it will attain its true speed in space from there on it will proceed with increasing velocity reaching infinite value at the opposite point of the globe it hardly need be stated that this is merely an illustration and not an accurate representation in the astronomical sense the exact law will be readily understood by reference to figure nine in which a transmitting circuit is shown connected to earth and to an antenna the transmitter being in action two effects are produced hertz waves pass through the air and a current traverses the earth the former propagate with the speed of light and their energy is unrecoverable in the circuit the latter proceeds with the speed varying as the cosecant of the angle which a radius drawn from any point under consideration forms with the axis of symmetry of the waves at the origin the speed is infinite but gradually diminishes until a quadrant is traversed then the velocity is that of light from there on it again increases becoming infinite at the antipole theoretically the energy of this current is recoverable in its entirety in properly attuned receivers some experts whom i have credited with better knowledge have for years contended that my proposals to transmit power without wires are sheer nonsense but i note that they are growing more cautious every day 
the latest objection to my system is found in the cheapness of gasoline these men labor under the impression that the energy flows in all directions and that therefore only a minute amount can be recovered in any individual receiver but this is by far from being so the power is conveyed in only one direction from the transmitter to the receiver and none of it is lost elsewhere it is perfectly practicable to recover at any point of the globe energy enough for driving an airplane or a pleasure boat or for lighting a dwelling i am especially sanguine in regard to the lighting of isolated places and believe that a more economical and convenient method can hardly be devised the future will show whether my foresight is as accurate now as it has proved heretofore End of section 7